Hello and welcome to episode number 21 of Nevermind the Bar Charts with myself, Mark Pack, and my co-host, Stephen Tool. Now, up until 9.59pm last night, I was all ready to make some joke about how there were clearly more episodes of Nevermind the Bar Charts than there are Liberal Democrat MPs. But, it's all a bit more complicated again now, isn't it? Because, as is traditional, somewhere out there in Parliament, an MP has been thinking, am I going to change parties? Now, if I do, when is the best time to do it? They've checked our planned recording schedule. Which is more than we of, do most which is more, Exactly, which is impressive. And they have decided to uh, announce, just as we had agreed we would record an episode. So, extra Liberal Democrat MP, yep. taking the party up to 20 or 21. MPs, depending on how you count. Back, batch? Yep. How's uh, it pronounced? Uh, Antoinette, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Go for the easy one. Uh, MP for Edisbury. Conservative MP voted remain in the referendum and one of the 21 MPs who had the Tory withdrawn for rebelling over Brexit. Mm-hmm. So she has a pretty solid track record on the big issue of the day, having had a little bit of a skim through her voting record and so on on other issues. Um, there are one or two where she has not voted the way you might necessarily expect a Lib Dem MP to vote. But Frankly, if you look at the voting track record of a Lib Dem MP, chances <laughs> are you'll find that as well. So overall, feels like this will be one of the much less controversial rather than more controversial and also, recruits for the party. Uh, I'm not, in terms of how people vote, mostly people vote with their party whip. It is not that surprising um, if they uh, are found exactly. to have voted most of the time with the Conservatives when they were taking the Conservative mm. whip. Unless you're Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, and uh, you know you, you defy your Labour whip more often than uh, than not when you're a backbencher. Then most people will have a voting record that reflects the party yep. they were a member of. Um, and then the other news on the MP front is Stephen Lloyd elected as a Liberal Democrat MP at the last election. In that campaign, he made a promise to vote for a Brexit deal, despite having been a voted Remain in the referendum, and felt he therefore had to honour that. He resigned the Liberal Democrat whip, therefore, uh, a few months back. He released a video a couple of days ago saying that he felt this new general election was a chance to set the slate clean, as it were, and therefore he would be an out-and-out Remainer and was hoping to stand, therefore, as the Liberal Democrat candidate. So there are 20 or 21 Liberal Democrat MPs at the moment, depending on how you count it, because Stephen has retained his party membership through the period when he had resigned the party whip. Um, Just on um, before we move on from Antoinette, Sandback or Sandbatch, I will find it out afterwards. Uh, I mean, it's interesting because she's now standing in the seat that uh, she That's right. has been a Conservative MP in, and it, it's, it has been traditionally a Conservative, pretty safe mm. Conservative seat, um, but she's sticking with uh, her own constituency. That's actually relatively unusual in terms of the defections to the Lib Dems, whether from Conservatives or Labour to date, something we've previously discussed mm. on this podcast and has continued since then with uh, Angela Smith um, choosing to um, contest a nearby constituency, mm-hmm. altering um, and Sale East, is it? Uh, Sale West, and Sail then West, up against right. Graham Brady, who yep. is a high-profile Tory leaver, but Indeed. you're right, in it's a, a different in a, constituency. In a Remain-heavy yeah. uh, seat. Uh, and then, of course, Sam Gimar um, also moving on from his Surrey East constituency, and contesting um, oh, 
remind me. Would you like me to say Kensington, something at Kensington, this point? <laughs> thank you. Um, just the just the time delay was enough. Uh, so if only we were webcasting this, people would have this wonderful bafflement that you are the one with the detailed written notes in front <laughs> of you. Yeah, but I'm not reading that. <laughs> that doesn't have that information, so it's no help whatsoever. Uh, this is from memory. So Sam Jimar moving yep. from Surrey East uh, to uh, Kensington, and so continuing the kind of tradition, I suppose. In the, it's very that Chukarumana started. Chukarumana and Luciana Berger, Berger yeah. and, uh, well, not an MP, but Nicola Horlick, other high-profile yeah. Lib Dem candidates at the election who have not who are not contesting the seats with which they are traditionally associated. Mm. So it's interesting that um, uh, Antoinette Sandbach is and, uh, and uh, Angela uh, isn't. So it's kind of a, it's an interesting mix, I suppose, of MPs who are being targeted towards particular constituencies based mm. on their in Luciana Berger's case, um, being a particularly Jewish-heavy constituency in Finch's... Uh, and also the one Oscar where she and her family were living, because yeah, obviously MPs indeed. so it does have well, local, outside London will yeah. typically live in two places, one in London and one in their constituency. Yeah. And Chukaramuna, um going for a constituency which had the highest uh, petition signatures mm. for looking to re- revoke Article yeah. 50. Yeah. And, so, and again, a constituency that he had some personal connections with as well. Sure. Um, although, of course... Actually, the really fun thing for someone to do at some point was would be to try to list how many constituencies each MP could claim some degree of affinity with. <laughs> See who is who is yeah. the MP who is who has the most degrees of freedom for which seat they could claim their local for. I, indeed, and uh, you know there have been lots of Conservative MPs casting round for local yeah. routes. I suspect in all of the um, other. Ten seats where and Conservatives I, are not... Yeah. And, uh, and, of course, in, during the current Lib Dem Party presidential election, I have in no way been talking up the number of different places that I have lived in the past <laughs> or, or passed through briefly on the train <laughs> once 12 years ago. Um, the other thing, perhaps, to mention, um, because it's been confirmed, although readers of my blog will have seen this several weeks ago, for example, is that Rob Castle, the Liberal Democrat prospective candidate in Dominic Greaves' constituency, uh, has all... has confirmed all gone public that he is standing down in favour of Dominic Grieve to give Dominic Grieve a sort of free run as it were to try and hold off the levers and secure re-election. That is the first sort of hint as it were that we've seen of sort of what some of the wider deals might be Mm -hmm. that are still being negotiated but I think it's likely we will see further news on that reasonably soon and we will see Liberal Democrats in various places standing down and also in return people from other political persuasions standing down to help boost the Liberal Democrats. Worth bearing in mind, it's a story, a part of the story about how Leila Moran got elected in Oxford, Mm -hmm. Western Abingdon, the Greens standing down there, and of course in South West London, in Richmond Park and Twickenham constituencies, there have been various electoral arrangements involving the Greens, and like in Leila's case, spanning both general election and local elections. Um, So more more news to come on that. I'm sure there will be, yeah. Especially as we have a pre-Christmas election. Yeah. Do you want to know my favourite fact about the election? Uh, Of course I do, Mark. Well, assume that it maybe ends in a hung parliament. Okay. And there's then a few days... I'm going to challenge that assumption then. And there's then going to be a few days of negotiation. Mm -hmm. And then the Liberal Democrats have to come up with some decision about who are we going to support in this hung parliament. Even if it's not a decision about coalition... That is still a decision that under the party's rules could very likely require a special conference, which would mean Saturday, December the 21st, clearly is the logical date to yeah. hold a Dem special conference. Tinsel on the podium, please. <laughs> I'm sure there will be. Uh, so even, is that right? So even if it was a confidence and supply or so, a specific um, Brexit only um, So the wording kind of is 
in the constitution, the, the wording that would need to be followed, is, is one of those bits of wording that is both clear, but the more you stare at it, the more ambiguous it becomes. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it's quite clear the process isn't only about coalition. It, it would, it's about formal arrangements of supporting other parties in government. Right. Now, on the scale from formal coalition through to being resolutely in opposition, there are all sorts of shades in between. And even the phrase that people use, confidence and supply, is not actually quite as tightly defined once mm -hmm. you start staring at it closely and think, well, what actually is a confidence vote these days under the Fixed Term Parliament Act? Yeah. So there's a reasonable chance... There's a reasonable chance we will have the best Christmas present ever, a suspension of standing orders moved by someone in a Santa hat in a somewhat soulless conference centre, possibly in the Midlands on Saturday, December the 21st. Yeah. OK. Well, we could do a podcast live from that, the special conference. That I, I may actually, I think I've pre-booked already, like lots of other people <laughs> will be, um, for uh, Saturday the 21st December. But um, I, I, should, I should say, of course, other dates are available, indeed. other possibilities are possible. And maybe even electronic um, kind of participation in one way or another. Well, okay, give her that. For any, for any listeners <laughs> who are Liberal Democrat members and have attempted to vote in the party's internal elections... Uh, I suspect they will probably be thinking that my use of the word well there was somewhat over-polite. Mm -hmm. There have been um, teething problems, shall we say. Two, three, in fact, batches of problems. Number one was on the day the internal e ballot emails went out to party members on a sort of Saturday past. Uh, unfortunately, they were sent out uh, in one big burst rather than evenly spread through the day. Lots of people tried to vote. The voting system therefore crashed, right. and then they tried again, and then it crashed, and they tried again, and it crashed, mm -hmm. and then they tried again and eventually managed to vote. But bonus special present for you, quite possibly, if you did vote very early in those elections, you may well have an email from Nick Harvey, the returning officer, in your email inbox telling you that, could you, sorry, could you please vote again? Because unfortunately, some of the manifestos for some of the committee candidates were missing. So if you did struggle through the voting system to vote successfully early on after the emails arrived, you're now going to have to vote again. Right. Does and, this affect the presidential contest? Uh, so I believe that if you voted in that basically first 36 hour period, all of your votes are being invalidated. So you'll be right. asked to vote again completely. Okay. Vote early, vote often. Vote, <laughs> quite literally. Vote, or just vote late and... Maybe only once if you're lucky. Yeah. Um, and then the third problem is that quite a few people, as in a way always happens, but quite a few people have reported not receiving the voting emails mm -hmm. at all. Partly this is because if you got a postal ballot in the leadership election, you were automatically down for a postal ballot again this time. But also some people seem to have had the emails not make their way through their spam filters, etc. So, yeah, try to vote early, try to vote often. And if you're me, I realise that my... Um is probably less than yours given you're contesting um, a high profile internal party post but uh, if you're me you find out that uh, your Lib Dem membership was inexplicably suspended for three months um, which it means that you're not uh, allowed to vote um, which um, uh, I discovered last this, night. Was it, uh, were you one of the people caught out with a direct debit payment failing a while back or something? It's not been explained to me. <laughs> um, so, no, I pay annually so, um, so it shouldn't actually make any difference it's just been inexplicably um, discounted. Anyway, so for the first time since 1999 I have not been a Lib Dem member for three months without knowing it. 
So. Well, you may have not been a member for, on, for other periods of time without well, before being member coincided with an internal election. I <laughs> guess I'm we, a peripatetic yeah. Lib Dem member. <laughs> I, I guess we should just finally add if but anyone do is, trust do trust the Lib Dems with um, the, the reins of yeah. power, folks. You can yeah. always trust us to uh, to run elections. Yeah. I, I have and, to say, I, I, I am often um, I am one of the more sceptical people in the party about the virtue of online voting for public elections. I think yeah, there's a risk reward trade off that I can see for internal elections for organisations with small body, uh, small budgets, that online voting can make sense. But for public elections, I'm very, very sceptical of its virtue. I feel it's going to be a bit easier for me to make that argument with colleagues in the party for a li- good little while <laughs> yet. We should finally add... Don't waste en- a crisis. <laughs> exactly. If anyone is having problems voting, um, the email address to contact is elections, with less at the end, at libdems.org.uk. They've got a target response time of two working days. It is sometimes taking a bit longer than that to respond. Do also watch out for whether there is any news on whether the closing date for the ballots gets postponed. And there's a possibility that we might all be given a little bit longer to vote as well, given the number of issues there are to work through. But hey, democracy, brilliant. Yeah. Well, you've been the subject of democracy. Um, so as we mentioned on the last mm. podcast, you've been standing, uh, I mean, the Dem members will probably know this, but for those who aren't, uh, you've been standing for the internal post of party president. Yep. You talked a little bit about the role last time. Since then, you've been on a whirlwind tour of the United Kingdom in order to drum up votes. Uh, what's been your kind of... How have you felt the mood of the party, I suppose, from uh, from doing that? I think, well, three things have struck me. One is, if you're trying to get to and from London by train, and I sort of knew this before, obviously, but it's re- been really striking how much easier it is to make journeys to and from London rather mm-hmm. than between two points that are not London. Uh, so, you know, going around to various hustings and other party events, etc., the public transport network, as we all know, is massively mm-hmm. London-centric, but it's really been brought home to me doing so many mixes of journeys of one day, ah, this is really relatively straightforward, the next day, oh my goodness, this isn't straightforward at all. Yeah. <laughs> and the common factor being, does the journey involve London or not? Um, but overall, I think the mood in the party has been pretty good, actually, because one of the things you sort of expect as a candidate in an internal election is to is to attract a lot of comments from people about things they're unhappy with. You know, that's the natural... Mm-hmm. impetus for example for asking a question at a hustings normally is people ask a question about something they're unhappy with rather than something they think is wonderful and want just the candidates to praise so i so i've been reassured um, about the overall mood in the party particularly as we're just about to go into an election i think i've also been struck by it's a slightly nuanced picture on diversity mm-hmm. because the in quite a few hustings it has been overwhelmingly older white men in the audience. On the flip side, though, the issue of diversity has come up repeatedly and not in the way that, say, 10 years ago, it probably would have... It often was sort of almost like the token person in the room who was concerned about the issue while everyone else in the room was not that bothered. You know, so you'd have the one person ask that question and the sense of everyone else thinking, oh, it's that question again. That attitude has definitely massively changed. So even in the rooms that have been pretty undiverse... Nonetheless, it's an issue that people clearly care yeah. about, and also well, it's very the, visual. Actually, whenever I see a because um, the traditional mm, photo when yeah. a, a, a candidate is selected in a, in a party contest is that everyone in the room then gathers behind them and holds up their orange mm. diamonds, uh, you know, winning here, mm. etc., to show that they've got a solid support 
face behind them. And then you look at the faces mm. and, um, you know, it is a sea of white, mostly older, mostly male um, faces that you see. And uh, but, I, mean, I think you're right from the hustings that I've been to recently and just from um, online comments, etc. I think there is a much more widespread um, appreciation that that is a problem that needs fixing. It's also interesting, of course, that within the Parliamentary Party now, by accident, perhaps more than by design, given it's, it's 50 50 been, male, female. The first isn't time it? the yeah. Lib Dem parliamentary party is 50 50 female, and, and I guess has a proportion of um, BME um, representation that is also in yeah, the population um, with Sam Gimar, Chukra Munna, and, and, and Layla. And Layla well. Brown, of course, as well. So, uh, yeah. So, in fact, if anything, it's probably, is it slightly, I guess, depends what definition you sure. use, but, but it's probably there or thereabouts at the national average, maybe even slightly above. Yeah. Uh, depending on on, on the, the the statistics you compare with, um, the risk obviously is that as a party we therefore think oh hooray job done. Yeah. Particularly when yeah. you look at you know the really good work that people like um, Roderick in Lib Dem campaign for racial equality and Candy in the uh, campaign for gender balance have done. If you look at the Lib Dem candidates in the party's most winnable seats, it's a really good diverse bunch yeah. as well. So, but the risk is that we therefore think oh hurrah okay mm-hmm. job done tick as opposed to, for example, remembering that I have yet to identify any Liberal Democrat council leader, not council group leader, but any Liberal mm-hmm. Democrat council leader from a BAME background. I don't think in the history of the party we have yet had one. Right. Um, certainly when I've mentioned this to people with long memories in our local government community, none of them have either been able to think of one so far. No. If there is somebody, and particularly if you're somebody who's listening, many <laughs> apologies, but in a way that almost makes the case yeah. that... Yeah that we don't have somebody who we can hold up as, as an example and a champion in that regard. And if you think how many Lib Dem council leaders there have been over the years, there's clearly a lot of work still sure, to be done there. Sure. So, uh, public elections. Public elections, the ones that uh, everyone else can vote in, mm. as opposed to just Lib Dem party members, apart from me. Unless um, postal votes get caught up in the Christmas post, or there are unusually long queues at polling stations. You know. yeah, yeah. Everyone, yeah. hopefully, brackets, maybe, perhaps, can vote in. <laughs> Um, so leaving, leaving those caveats aside, uh, since we spoke, there has been an election called, and it's uh, in, at least in part because of the Lib Dems. Yay! Um, because it was uh, even a week ago if we'd been recording this podcast, an election uh, would have looked unlikely um, because uh, the Fixed Term Parliament mm. Act that Boris Johnson was seeking to trigger in order to call an election was continuously being voted down by MPs, including Lib Dems. And I was starting to wonder why on earth are the Dems were doing this, given that actually the only chance the, uh, this Parliament has to stop Brexit is between now and January, and therefore if the Dems want to have a chance of stopping Brexit, they need to do something quickly. And then just as I was starting to think maybe I was going mad, uh, Joe Swinson did then announce, OK, we are going to now mm. vote for an early election, we will trigger an election, and they wanted uh, 9th of December, but it's gone to the 12th of December. Mm. Uh, so, what was the was there a particular reason why the party was holding off so long from switching from backing a people's vote mm. to going? Actually, there is a chance now for the Lib Dems to stop Brexit, and the best way to stop Brexit is by making sure the Conservatives lose their majority properly, and that as many Lib Dems as possible are returned. I guess it was really a combination of two things. One was that. A people's vote had been voted on seven times in the House of Commons, Mm -hmm. every time it had been voted down, Mm -hmm. and there was really no plausible route 
to a oh, exactly. majority That's, so my for question was, vote. why were the Lib Dems continuing oh, absolutely. to push for a people's Indeed, vote, uh, given there was zero chance that Parliament yeah, was going the, to the, vote the, for it? I'll, I'll come on to the second okay, element sorry. in a moment, but I, I think you know there is some virtue in continuing to push for something when you think there might be a chance of people changing their mind. And you know, Labour has had just about every Brexit position imaginable. <laughs> so it was not, you know, not unreasonable to think, well, if we carry on pushing for a people's vote, maybe the Remainers in the Labour Party, and there are some genuine passionate Remainers in the Labour Party, maybe they might win that internal contest in the Labour Party and Labour will come down in favour of people's vote and therefore we can secure one. But once you've tried seven times, I mean, yeah. Theresa May's deal only got, what, three votes in the Commonwealth? Yeah, this is seven times yeah. and there's no, no realistic sign of Labour shifting then you think, okay, that road has run out. Yeah. The European Union as well was saying that it would offer an extension, but only an extension for a democratic event. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it, or rather only a long extension for a democratic event. Otherwise, it would only offer a short technical extension to give time to vote through various measures. So when you have that combination, you think, well, okay, the only route forward is a general election yeah. at this yeah. point. I, and I can see the, the argument in principle about why a referendum might have been a preferable route. Although I also think, given the amount of time it takes to organise and run a referendum, sure. there was always a bit of a quite who is going to be the government in the interim and what's mm-hmm. going to happen on that front. <coughs> but the key thing is that unlike, you know, unlike say, the run-up to the vote on the withdrawal agreement, both under Theresa May and Boris Johnson, where there was lots of speculation about different groups of MPs and how might they be won over one way or another, on the people's vote thing, there was just no... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah there are some people who are saying, I know you should have carried on pushing for a people's vote. Say, so, well, OK, but which is the group of MPs you think we could have shifted? Yeah, yeah. And at that point, sort of people's faces basically go blank. Because yeah. it's not like they had an alternative strategy in mind. Yeah, and my frustration was the, uh, was the opposite. <coughs> um, was that there was clearly no chance of a people's vote getting through Parliament. That's been pretty clear, to be honest. Um, for the last six months, I guess there's a chance the Labour leadership might have shifted. I don't still think that would have swung enough. Uh, well, votes. I think certainly ahead before the Labour um, Party autumn conference, I think yeah. it would have been unduly defeatist to I say think, there's no chance. That I, the I just Party don't think shifting. they would have got enough Labour MPs to back uh, that position that it would have ever been viable. But anyway, it certainly hasn't been viable for yeah. the last two or three weeks. Uh, and uh, so I was wondering why the party was taking so long. But anyway, it got to the position well, I, where I it guess was. the other element as to the amount of time it took to get to this position was simply wanting to make sure that we go to a general election in a by a method which doesn't allow Boris Johnson sure. to slip yeah, through yeah. no deal. Yeah. And in that sense, you know, given Boris Johnson or rather Dominic Cummings, brackets, unnamed Downing Street sources, if mm-hmm. you're a friendly journalist willing to be given duff information repeatedly and never name the person who's making a fool of you... Hadrido repeatedly said, we've got a cunning plan, we've got a cunning plan, we've got a cunning plan. Generated lots of nice press coverage about cunning plans. None of the cunning plans stood up to even the most cursory of examination um, at any point. But there was an understandable sense of, you know, if you've got a prime minister whose chief advisor keeps on saying he's going to try and trick his way through to doing something, that you want to make sure you close down. Mm all the possible avenues on that. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, now done and dusted, and we do have uh, an election that is uh, uh, that is imminent, well, at least six weeks away now from when we record. Um, and uh, one of the... This is the uh, point at which we need to record seven different sentences <laughs> setting out the possible election outcomes that we will well, no, I was gonna, go yeah. back and edit in the appropriate I, one no, after I, polling I, I was, uh, And we did sketch so out... So about it. that shock green landslide <laughs> victory that I think... 
I think no one else is predicting, Stephen, but maybe we should. We did sketch out a running order before we started recording, and I was going to throw in a surprise question at the end to say, OK, let's nail our colours to the mast. What is our prediction for the election? And I'm going to hold that back and, uh, and, and I'm giving you advance warning of that surprise question. Well, um, I'm just looking at the clock now. We might have to hold that one over <laughs> to the next episode. That slightly defeats the purpose of it, of holding our feet to the fire. But anyway, um, we do now have this election, and the Lib Dems, one of the first things that uh, Joe Swinson has been keen to say, other than obviously stop Brexit as many times as possible, is that... The I think ones... she also mentioned that she wants Brexit to stop. Uh, OK, right, yeah. So stopping Brexit or Brexit stopping is, is pretty much the Lib Dem manifesto uh, set out there. But there is also the inevitable question that Lib Dems face every single time there is a general election of what will you do in the event that dot dot dot. And, we'll stop Brexit. Um, <laughs> and I thought it was going to be Brexit stops. Uh, and the party's been very clear, Joe Swinson's been very clear, there will be no coalition with either Boris Johnson's Conservatives or Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. Correct. Notice the use of two specific individual names. Indeed, in yeah. I've, uh, I've been completely um, uh, gotten on message uh, about how to do it. Um, but it does. And you use both their surnames it, as well. It does indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I do because we had this discussion ages ago, didn't we, about the whole yeah. is it Boris or is it Johnson? And I said that ship has sailed. I've been noticing myself unconsciously now talking about Johnson and Boris Johnson mm. and I'm trying to work out whether that's just because he is Prime Minister and so it, it feels appropriate or whether there is something about the way he's comported himself in office which means that somehow the cuddly Boris kind of figure which was always a bit yeah. of a, a I mean the cuddly Boris was not exactly it, on yeah, display it, it, on a few moments in Parliament in the last few exactly. weeks I, I, yeah, so somehow feels yeah, there is inappropriate a, to call yeah. him Boris now because he's very clearly yeah. not trying to be that sort of um, person and so I have actually unconsciously started calling him Boris Johnson or Johnson anyway well, our, our two listeners from the Not Enough Champagne podcast will be cheering <laughs> at this point um, so uh that, that begs the question. The, um, the Lib Dem policy on stopping mm. Brexit or Brexit stopping uh, is clear that in the event of a majority Lib Dem yeah. government, it would be to revoke Article 50. I think very few of us um, expect that will actually Stephen, happen. Stephen, and you wonder why the party mysteriously, due to an admin error, had your membership <laughs> in a vacuum for uh, a while earlier this year. I see, that's why. Liberal Democrat majority, yeah, that's yeah. going to be the outcome. Yep. Next question. Okay. Um, they anticipated my disloyalty, clearly. Uh, or oh, just listen to any one of episodes 120, so, I guess. Oh, indeed. Or oh, just read whatever I write. Um, so, uh, it does beg the question, mm. though, uh, what... Uh, you know, if the Lib Dems aren't in a position yeah. to be a majority, the party has then said, OK, we would uh, want a referendum. Mm. Uh, we would want that um, people's vote. Yeah. Uh, how does it get that if, the, if it has ruled out a coalition? Well, I think there are a couple of routes. It's really, really hard to see how any of the routes involves the Conservative Party and therefore ruling out a co coalition with Boris Johnson in a way, is synonymous with ruling out a coalition with mm -hmm. the Conservative Party, because if you think, if, say, he was to resign as Prime Minister after the election, who might replace him? It's you know, very hard to see. Labour, however, is a little bit different, and yeah. that's where the distinction between ruling out a coalition with Jeremy Corbyn and ruling out any post-election arrangements with Labour are, is, that isn't synonymous. Yeah. So I, I think you know, option one is that we maybe have more Labour MPs than the Democrat MPs, and the Labour Party, whether led by Jeremy Corbyn or not, says 
you know, we're going to have a confidence vote on a package of legislation for the next nine months, one of which is the delivery of a referendum. Mm-hmm. Um, if And maybe even Labour will say, and then we'll have a general election at the end of all of that after the referendum. That sort of package you can okay. imagine the Liberal Democrats voting for. If that sort With of pack- Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister? Well, I think the Liberal Democrats won't vote for Jeremy Corbyn to be Prime Minister. But you can either envisage a circumstance in which the maths of Parliament means that isn't the case. You know, mm-hmm. If the Lib Dems say had a bad general election result, for example, you know, obviously that might not be the case. Um, or you can imagine a situation in which Jeremy Corbyn stands down. And I think there is a degree to which, you know, like his abject failure to take anti-Semitism properly, mm-hmm. you know, his just blindness to that racism and bigotry is actually one that, although a lot of Corbyn fans on Twitter absolutely share that blindness they proudly boast about how anti-racist they are until they turn a blind eye and start defending racists um quite a lot of the you know corbynista type potential parliamentary successors to jeremy corbyn don't have that blindness and so it's plausible to imagine a world in which jeremy corbyn stands down that there is a successor to him who is from that sort of wing of the party but actually is somebody who is also pragmatic enough to be willing to make deals yeah. and that you can imagine a package that would say, OK, we'll have some sort of minimal holding government for six to nine months while a referendum is held and then we'll have a general election after that. And you know, to then sort of okay. give everyone the choice for what the domestic and other international agenda is beyond having settled Brexit with a people's vote referendum. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, OK. I'm a little bit sceptical mm. about the processes by which Labour would um, ditch Jeremy Corbyn, but OK. So that's, that's well, the I mean, roots, they, I, I mean, you're right. That there is a huge unknown here about um, how Labour, likely ditch, Jeremy Corbyn um, is to want to stay on in that situation. Yeah. So, for example, you know, what does John MacDonald really want? Because John MacDonald is you know, as hardline as Corbyn in many ways, but also in deeply pragmatic yes, as well. Yeah. You know, he, you know, if you were to say, what is the circumstance under which you can imagine a set of arrangements being made which keep Corbynistas in the Labour Party happy but allow non-Labour MPs, and let's not forget SNP, mm-hmm. Greens, etc. applied, may all well matter in this sort of scenario, but may allow non-Labour MPs also to vote for some sort of you know six, nine-month arrangement, you can easily imagine John MacDonald being at yeah, the heart yeah. of making those yeah. sorts of deals. So I, I think from the outside... And there are it, interesting reports, weren't there, of Conservative focus groups finding mm-hmm. that uh, John MacDonald is the potential Labour leader that could harm them most because he has that kind of cuddly bank manager um, kind of vibe whenever he's on the Sunday morning TV shows, he's in his lovely chintzy um, armchair. I mean, he is the classic reassuring kind of figure, even though he is a revolutionary Marxist in many ways. He he, he uh, plays the classic, you know, to be radical, dressed conservative sort of role very well. But also, at least my impression from the outside and talking to some people I know in the Labour Party is... He is genuinely much more of a deal maker in yeah, that sense, yeah, I'm sure, I'm um, sure. and that's partly why you know he's been actually rather better on some of the anti-Semitism issues. Yeah. I'm not sure at heart that his starting position is that much different from Jeremy Corbyn's, um, and you know McDonald has said really unpleasant stuff in the past you know, about you know lynching a, an MP and all of that, but he does seem in the more yeah. pragmatic mode of now well, he's actually, got a chance if this of is da- if the, exactly if this is damaging our chance of power, yeah. let's do something about it. Get the it. barnacles off the boat. As yeah. Anton Crosby always used to say, yeah. So that's okay. Uh, and in terms of uh, Lib Dem slogan, I think we've covered it. Stop that, Brexit, it? Stop build Brexit. a brighter future. Yeah, okay. Well, is we should really, remember the second half. It really half. build a brighter future. It is stop Brexit, build a brighter future. Oh, 
Okay. Oh god. Okay. Uh, and I think that's <laughs> that second half is important. Okay. <laughs> because the whole point about why we want to stop Brexit is not because we think the world was wonderful in the 1990s mm-hmm. and we just want to preserve the 1990s vibe, but rather it's because stopping Brexit is the best way to cooperate to stop climate change. It's the best way to help our health service. Yeah. It's the best way to help you know, give students even more educational opportunity. All of those positive yeah. things that flow from being. To part be clear, of the I'm, I'm not again. I'm not again the sentiment. I, I'm not against building a brighter future. I just. I, it sounds. Like I was going to ask which of the three words is it? Which of the it, three key words is it? Building that you're against. Is it brightness you're against, or is it the future you're against? Uh, it's cliche. I'm against, and also it's just very passive. It's not. I mean, you compare it to the successful slogans there have been of yeah. "Take back control," "Get Brexit done." Um, you know, memorable slogans that. Well, the, the slogan is "Stop Brexit." Isn't yeah. It? Okay. The, the 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 subheading yeah. is then "Build a brighter future." It does. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't. It doesn't speak directly to the individual voter in the way that "Stop um, Brexit" does. Um, "Stop Brexit" does. Yeah. So uh, let's just. We will be stopping Brexit. Perhaps the party can focus on 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 that. And um, but um, the, you know, Lib Dems do have a tendency to uh, have quite um, uh, glorified. Um, um, rose-tinted mm. uh, ways of expressing the, the wish to build a liberal future. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just think occasionally it would be nice to have some marketing in there as well. Stop Brexit. All right, fine, OK. Um, so, and the manifesto, more importantly, I guess. In yes, terms there of will substance, be one. There will be a manifesto. There will be a manifesto. two words, stop Brexit. <laughs> Pretty much. There okay. might be a full stop <clears throat> after stop Brexit if we decide to go Ooh. wild with the ink budget. Not even an exclamation mark, just um, a full stop. So there was a... The party's actually been pretty well prepared on a manifesto front for a possible early election for quite a long time now. Sure. And there will be... So the manifesto is nearly sort of done and dusted. It is overseen by the party's federal policy committee, which is one of the party bodies up for election mm-hmm. in the internal elections that <laughs> okay. listeners may or may not be able to vote <laughs> in. Um, but then there was a manifesto drafting working group drawn up specifically chaired by the Liberal Democrat leader in the House of Lords, Lord Dick Newby. Um, and yeah, then the manifesto will come out in the near future. I was describing I this process to um, a, a Labour friend of mine uh, the other day and uh, you know, she said, Who, who's, who's writing the Lib Dem manifesto? And I said, well, it's a federal policy committee that draws it up. It's, uh, they will draw yeah, on the policies yeah, that have been yeah. voted for by yeah. the uh, party conference and its members and then there'll be a working group that's assigned yeah. to actually draw that all together and then party yeah. staff will actually do the uh, the, the graft of, uh, of knitting it together and she was just oh that sounds wonderfully Lib Dem and the other answer to the question obviously is Duncan Brack <laughs> which, is, which is a slight exaggeration but for those of you who don't know Duncan um, Duncan is one of those classic people who's not only very expert and knowledgeable and all of that um, but also he's one of those committee members who turns up and does the work yeah. so yeah. Duncan normally ends up writing of our, yeah, a huge proportion of yeah. any output of any committee that he has briefly passed through the meeting room for. Fair enough. Um, and so we turn to, I think... How are uh, we going to stop Brexit? Uh, well, there's that as well. So um, now I'm going to briefly um, up myself um, mm. because uh, in our podcast early September, it was um, when it looked like Boris Johnson's um, attempts to get an election mm. were failing and his Brexit strategy was unravelling. This was just shortly after the Supreme Court had ruled his prorogation of Had ruled exactly as Dominic Cummings had intended. Uh, and uh, everyone was saying, OK, that, you know, Boris Johnson is boxed mm. in, uh, it's the end, etc. And I was saying, I'm, I'm not so sure. I yeah. think he's losing uh, battles. I think the war 
is his uh, still to win. Yeah. And that uh, if I were the Conservatives, I would be more confident about my position yeah. than if I were part of the Remain yeah. alliance, uh, or the Lib Dems even. That's so right. The Lib Dems will definitely and win. And I, I did the, this is why things are going well for Remainers. Yeah. And for some reason that has weirdly stuck in my memory, I then I listened then to the that episode whilst walking through the streets of Rome on a brief, brief day trip to... <laughs> you to, listened to, to yourself. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Paris, not Rome, Paris. On a brief day trip to rendezvous with different Paris. members of my family who were all passing through Paris on the same Saturday. So. <laughs> right. Uh, so... Uh, do you do you not listen back to these episodes? Uh, I, I hate the sound of my own voice. Um, uh, feeling I'm sure shared by you've not you've not heard the little squeaky filter I had to your <laughs> voice then. <laughs> and when I say I hate the sound of my own voice, at least I can hear my own voice, which um, is more than most of our listeners can half the time. <laughs> but, um, uh, so anyway, yeah. So I the think, Paris episode, I as I remember Paris, it, the Paris episode <laughs> makes us sound so much more glamorous than our podcasts really are. Uh, is I mean, come uh, on, we are recording this one in uh, Rio de Janeiro. It's uh, a lovely yeah, view course. out over the beach, isn't it? <laughs> lovely sunny weather out uh, there, not a raindrop in sight. I'm so glad we can charge this to expenses. Um, so I, my contention was Boris Johnson is winning the war here, yeah. even though he's losing battles, yep. and that's still my contention. And my contention is still that your contention is wrong. Um, and I hope I'm wrong, by the yep. way. I, I, you know, I'm, my, my priors here are partly emotional hedges yep. uh, to immune immunize myself against uh, what might happen yep. in on december the 12th but as it stands my expectation is a healthy conservative majority so i think the two what's your the expectation two reasons, as the two reasons and watch, the listen two listeners reasons, as mark dodges this question correct <laughs> uh, the two reasons i think your pessimism is misplaced is that firstly we're having a general election before brexit is settled and that is clearly better for the Liberal Democrats. Yep, I'd agree I mean, with that. Brexit will not go away, even if a withdrawal agreement bill mm -hmm. had been voted through. It will still be a big sure. issue for years to come. Clearly, though, the politics of it are much more straightforwardly positive isn't for the Liberal Democrats if it's an election this side. I agree with that entirely, but isn't that part of the problem that actually the Lib Dem vote will rise mm. across the country? Mm. Hopefully, rise enough in lots of places yep. to mean Lib Dem MPs are returned. I do hope that, obviously. But it's likely that that will split the anti-conservative Well, I, I think this brings... And that is what is this going to... So the conservatives on, don't have to yeah. add any more votes if the anti-conservative vote is split. And that's the issue, surely. I, I think, though, this goes back to the point I made in the Paris episode, which is the <laughs> route by which we've got to a pre-Christmas and pre-Brexit general election is one which is al has almost been perfectly designed to maximise the willingness of Remainers and anti-conservatives to vote tactically. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. the way in which yeah. Boris Johnson and Brackett and Dominic Cummings, stroke unnamed Downing Street sources, <laughs> have conducted themselves over the last few months have made it massively more likely that people will be willing to hold their noses, etc., and vote for a party or a candidate they wouldn't normally support in order to either get the Tories out, stroke, make sure you elect the most plausible Remainer in your constituency. And when you look at the sort of vote share that the Tories are on, that is a landslide-winning vote share if you've got a very divided opposition and very little tactical mm -hmm. voting. It is also a losing vote share if you have uh, high levels of tactical voting yeah. and sorting of yeah. votes in efficient ways under first-past-the-post between, yeah. between the other parties. Um, in, and because the extent to which that will happen is one that would be quite different from the patterns we've seen in previous elections, mm -hmm. I think there's probably a point at which even at 
10.01 p.m. on election night when we have the exit poll. We won't know for sure. There's a really good thread from Will Jennings, one of uh, one of Britain's sort of best political scientists, brackets, all those others who follow me on Twitter are wonderful as well before you start sending me hate tweets. But he's um, part but, of the exit he, poll. Yeah. The exit and he poll explained teams. why he thinks this is going to be a really different election to get projections right for. Mm-hmm. And that applies to opinion polls. It applies to projecting seat numbers from opinion polls. It also potentially even applies to the exit poll as well. So yeah. there, you know, that question about how well efficiently distributed will the votes be on each side of the pro and anti-Brexit dividing line we'll know when all the votes are in yeah. and counted up, but we may well not know for sure before yeah. then. The reason I'm op- optimistic, though, is I think if you think of what are the circumstances under which that's most likely to turn out well and give us a parliament that then can stop Brexit with, of course, Jay Swinson mm-hmm. as Prime Minister, mm-hmm. of course. these are pretty much the circumstances that we'd want us yeah, to yeah. run up to it. Well, to be honest, it, it, you know, if the Lib Dems can't do well in this election, it's hard to imagine which election circumstances could be better for them to do well in. Uh, so... Uh, I'm not, I accept all that. I'm not, I think there's a temptation. I was thinking about this uh, before we started recording, that I think people tend to project onto the current election what happened in the last election. So in 2010... Oh, yeah, no, so 1990... If, if, if people are going to project previous elections onto... Sorry, like, I don't mean, I don't mean cephalogically, I don't mean, to, I don't mean cephalogically oh, right. necessarily. I just mean in terms of their expectations, their gut feeling of what's going to mm. happen, which is mostly what we go with even if we dress it up with data later. Uh, so in 2010, few people actually expected a hung parliament at the time. Um, most people mm. were predicting yep. a Conservative majority because there hadn't been a hung parliament in 35 years. Mm. In 2015, uh, most people assumed a hung mm. parliament yep. because that was what had happened last time. Yep. In 2017, most people assumed a Conservative win because that was what, mm. was what had happened last time and there was a, uh, the Conservatives mm. were doing well in most mm. opinion polls. And this time, I think people are now assuming it will be kind of a model and it's impossible to tell and all the rest of it because that's what happened last time and everyone's predictions were wrong. I just feel at some point um, people's assumptions that what happened last time is what will happen this time may break Mm. and that actually what the polls are saying may turn out to be accurate. Although what the polls are saying is not you know, a straightforward Tory victory by any means. And the other thing to remember is if you look sort of under the surface at things like the government satisfaction rating. I think Ipsos Moria, mm-hmm. the only pollster at the moment who are, you know, ask this question regularly, but the net rating of the government is you know, absolutely down below, sure. below basement level. But yeah. the only leader with positive ratings at the moment uh, in that same poll is, is Boris Johnson, mm. but, um, uh, with Jeremy Corbyn being massively unpopular. And, but, but Boris Johnson's ratings having are... negative yeah, ratings. I mean, Boris Johnson's ratings are by no means great, compared to previous... But they're on the up, and, not the down. And the, and the other thing, and this is where I think it's it's important to distinguish net these days between Leavers and Remainers, mm-hmm. is that if your pitch is almost all to one of those two camps, what your ratings are with people who are in the other camp matters rather less. And there's a, there's a really good mm-hmm. example of this in the polling uh, recently done into what people think of the Lib Dem policy of revoking Article 50 if the Lib Dems win the election, sure. is yeah. it's o- overall, you might think this is not a particularly positive policy, but it's very popular with the Remainers and very unpopular with Leavers. When Lib Dem support is down anyway on its dismal 2017 level amongst Leavers anyway, having something else that Leavers really dislike about the Lib Dems is not necessarily an issue, as long as yep. it is a thing that is actually properly appealing to yeah. Remainers. There's a lot more remain vote for the Lib Dems to win than there is leave vote for sure. the Lib Dems to lose. That said, of course, there will be places where 
you know, really good candidates who have built up a good personal vote and where they've got a really strong tactical voting squeeze message may well be wanting to appeal to leavers. And so it's important always not to be gratuitously rude or insulting to leavers. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, where the votes are to be won for the Lib Dems are amongst Remainers. So I think it will always be worth looking at, and this applies with leadership ratings as well, which is why I raised it, is not just what the overall figures are, but what are they amongst Remainers and what are they amongst leaders? Because sure, sure. even you know mildly positive figures overall, if they are you know as positive amongst leavers as Remainers, actually that's not really that positivity amongst leavers for Lib Dems is not really going to generate much in the way of votes. Yeah. It's the Remainer bit that's that's absolutely yeah. crucial. Well, there will be doubtless more of this um... evasion. <laughs> evading your questions. I feel like this is going to turn into a kind of Pollyanna and Cassandra uh, kind of episode. Um, so uh, I, I should, you know, point out I very much hope that I am wrong in my predictions, and there is certainly will no you be certainty. voting Liberal Democrat uh, if I'm allowed to? Um, <laughs> you know, maybe I'll, t I'll turn up and they they'll say no. Sorry, we've no record of you on the uh, on the register whatsoever. Uh, I will be voting. I think, dear listener, I might get signed up as a postal proxy for Stephen for this election <laughs> just to make sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, anyway, I, I feel like we uh, are probably going to differ on um, what may be likely to happen, but united in terms of what we hope will happen. And that means that at least one of us will have mega bragging rights in our special live from the Birmingham NEC Lib Dem special conference Birmingham extended six-hour I thought it was going to be Tahiti on, or... On December the 21st. Caribbean <laughs> islands somewhere, please. <laughs> on that cheery note, thank you very much for listening. Please do follow us on Twitter, at Bar Chart Podcast. Always really appreciate your feedback, suggestions for things we should cover in future episodes, and occasional fact-checking where we have blundered over compass points in constituency names. And, of course, <laughs> if you are listening to this in a podcast app, ratings and reviews don't actually really help podcasts be seen by more people, but they are much appreciated by those who record podcasts. So please do rate and review. Thank you very much. <laughs>